Jesus began his ministry in Galilee. That was his basically his hometown, even though he was born down near Jerusalem. He actually was raised after they came back from Egypt up in Nazareth, which is in Galilee, which is, you've heard of the Lake of Galilee. And that's where Jesus was raised. And he goes back to his hometown to begin his ministry. He continues the ministry of John the Baptist, who actually, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, who was born just a few months ahead of Jesus. And so these two men, though, it doesn't seem that they were raised together. John uh, started his ministry ahead of Jesus. Jesus then came on the scene as being raised by his father as a carpenter, and he began to preach as well. John was arrested by Herod the king because John had made a public announcement against the king, King Herod, and Herod had John imprisoned and later on had him beheaded. But Jesus picked up on the message of John to repent and believe and that the kingdom was at hand. Jesus also then uh, began to gather men around him who were what we call disciples. And the first two were Peter and Andrew. Peter, the one who told Mark what to write in this book. And then two other brothers, James and John. The four of these brothers became Jesus' closest disciples. And you read about them throughout the New Testament. Jesus preached especially in synagogues. Synagogues are Jewish teaching houses or rooms where at least 10 Jews, Jewish men, could organize a synagogue and they could have their teachers come there and teach. That was the rules of those days. They weren't temples. However, sometimes now you will go to a city and there will be a uh, what they call a temple. But it's not really a temple. It's more or less a teaching center or a Jewish center in whatever city that might, might be in. When Jesus began his ministry in Galilee, it was quite astounding what happened because people were hearing this message, but they were also being healed. And it doesn't tell us a lot of detail as to how they were healed, but they were being healed of many, many diseases. But on top of that, they were being delivered from demons. And it seems like during this time, if you're, if you're reading in Mark right now, it's, it's a fast-moving book, and you hear about all these things happening, and it's because there is spiritual confrontation that is going on. Because... Basically, from 400 years previous to the time of John the Baptist and Jesus, there was silence. God did not move that much. He didn't reveal himself. 400 years. That's older than the United States. 
400 years is a long time. Many of us can't go back 400 years, even in our family history. But being here in Japan, many of you can. However, there was a silence from God. And then John the Baptist and Jesus come on the scene. And there's this flurry of spiritual revelation, both negative as well as positive. The positive pronouncement of the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, the good news that God is about to do something. And that was heralded at Christmas, what we call Christmas. We don't know whether it was December or not, but Jesus' birth brought a flurry of activity in the heavenlies. And then 30 years later, here comes this grown man, and they are declaring that he is Messiah, the promised one from the ancient writings in the Old Testament. And demons are reacting. Spiritual darkness is reacting against the light. After making friends with Peter and Andrew, Jesus is invited to stay with Peter in his home. And during that time, we don't know how long, it seemed like it was just a short while, that those who had heard about this man called Jesus, they gathered around Peter's house. And it says the whole city gathered at Peter's house. Inside what had happened was Peter's mother-in-law, who was living with him, was healed and immediately served them. The news got out, and more and more they found out that a man named Jesus was at this house. Jesus then, that night, or early in the morning, gets up, leaves the house by himself, and goes out to pray. The disciples wake up and they can't find Jesus, and they go seeking him. And they find him praying. And then begins another surge of ministry. Many are healed and delivered from spiritual darkness. Jesus says to them, I've got to leave, we've got to leave, and we need to go to the next town. And so they move on to another town, doesn't say where it is, and he says, I need to preach. And that's the reason I came, to preach the kingdom of God. So we pick up here in this last part of Mark chapter 1. Let's read that. This is what happens as they, they go out. And a leper, someone with leprosy, a very dread skin disease, came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest 
offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But the man went out and began to proclaim it freely, to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated, deserted areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. I just have, again, a a three-point message. We're going to deal with verses 40 to 42, speaking of the heart of Jesus, and then a testimony, what Jesus means when he says that he should go to the priest, that this would be a testimony in verses 43 and 44. And then the third point is, in verse 45, obedience follows faith. Let's talk about that first part in verses uh, 40 to uh, 42. It says, a leper. He has no name that we know of. We don't know that he's identified in any other place in the Gospels. A leper, this disease we do have here in Japan, or at least least we used to. I'm not sure whether it's still active or not, but when we first arrived in Japan, some friends of ours took us to a leprosarium up in Nagano-ken. I think I told you this before. And what we saw, well, we had our little kids with us. They were uh, 8 to 11 and uh, scared the wits out of them. They had never seen anything like this before. People whose mouths and their noses had been eaten away. Their fingers on their hands had been eaten away. One lady I remember in particular, no arms, no legs, and her face was marked with the disease having eaten that away. Terrible to look at. And we gathered at her, around her bed and prayed for her. But the astounding thing about this woman was the smile on her face, her bright eyes. When we prayed, yes, Sama. Such a glow in her face. It's, we're just astounded at seeing that. And on our way home, we talked about what we had seen. Here in modern Japan is leprosy. Has anybody ever been to a leprosarium? Okay, a couple of people. We should go visit them. My understanding, at least at that time, 50% of those that are there in leprosariums, are true believers in Jesus Christ. Very high percentage. Particularly when we think that it's half of 1% across Japan's population who believe in Jesus. Those people are like this man. This man comes, he wasn't as bad as the lady in the bed. He came and he fell down before Jesus and said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He had hope. He had a a request. If you are willing. And it says, moved with compassion, 
For it says that Jesus, within his being, he was, he was moved to see this man in this condition. And then Jesus did something that was forbidden by the law, the Jewish law. And he reached out and he touched the man. That's a no-no. That's, that's forbidden. But Jesus was so moved that he touched him and said to him, I am willing. You know why I've capitalized am on that I am? Who is the great I am? It's God Almighty. I am willing. I don't think that's an accident that Jesus said, I am. He's inferring that he identifies as God to this leper I am willing. And it says immediately, which we understand Mark uses immediately a lot. So it sounded like, okay, it happened. The leprosy left him and he was cleansed. We go to the next section and it's quite astounding because I puzzled over this section for quite a while. In verse 43 and 44, it says, And he, Jesus, sternly warned him. That word sternly is not like, now I'm telling you that you're not to take that cookie. It's not that kind of sternness that you cringed when your mother said that to you. It was even worse than that. The actual Greek word is a horse, an angry horse, snorting. It's <laughs> Jesus was stern with this man. Why? Why would Jesus react this way to this poor man? Jesus moved in his being, in compassion. Jesus had just delivered many people from demonic control and power in their lives. He has seen the worst of the worst. And here's a man who says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing to be cleansed. But there was something in Jesus that became stern and snorting and warned him and sent him away. And Jesus said, as he was sending him away, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses had commanded as a testimony to them. Why did Jesus instruct him not to say anything to anyone? And why go show himself to the priest? He was healed. It was obvious, but Jesus was concerned not so much for the reaction of the people because he'd already seen the reaction of the people when people are coming and were pressing in on Jesus. So it wasn't that he was trying to 
not make a big deal out of this. But Jesus was concerned about the keeping of the law. There was a requirement. In fact, there was a requirement on this man that he could not go back to his village or his home by the law until he had gone and shown himself to the priest. The priest examined him and would declare that he was cleansed. And so Jesus was trying to protect this man. You know, oftentimes in things that happen to us, God does something in our lives, we want to tell somebody about it, don't we? And sometimes it may be that God just says to you, keep this to yourself. It is so human of us to draw attention to ourselves. When God has done something great, I've got to just get on the, well, the phone or Facebook or whatever it is, Twitter, <laughs> Line or what, well, I don't know, and get on and communicate to somebody, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. Well, Jesus is saying, don't tell anyone about this. You have an obligation first to live it out. And let the reality of what has happened to you sink in before you go off telling other people about it. Mature in it. We'll get to what this is all about. That he sternly told him, go and show yourself to a priest. What was required? It was as a testimony to them, Jesus said. Leviticus 14, 1-7 says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and this is in the law, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. That's where they were, the lepers. Thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds, cedar wood, and a scarlet string and hyssop for the one who is being cleansed. Very specific instructions. The priest shall give orders to slay the the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. In other words, fresh water. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and tie the bird to the cedar stick and the hyssop. Hyssop was like a sponge. You guys know what hyssop is. Probably some of you women have this gourd-looking thing that's got, it's full of holes. It looks like a, a sponge, but it's got a lot more holes in it. That's what hyssop is. Hyssop is also the thing that they used in as they left Exodus, or the day before they left Exodus. They dipped it in blood, and they the sponge-type material, and put the blood on the doorposts and over the lintel. Hyssop was also the thing that Jesus, when he said, I'm thirsty on the cross, 
they took hyssop and put it in wine, sour wine, and they put it on a stick and put it up to Jesus' mouth. That's hyssop. So anyway, this bird is killed, tied to this cedar stick, and dipped into the water. And then it says, the priest shall give orders to slay the one bird in the earthenware over running water. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and the hyssop and shall dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slain over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the live bird go free over the open field. That was what was required in order for a person to be declared that he was cleansed. And then it says that on the, and goes on to say that in the eighth day, he is to, he's supposed to wait seven days. And then on the eighth day, he's to make a sacrifice of a bull and a lamb for his sin. And then he is free from leprosy and he can go back to his family and friends. Quite strict. Jesus says to this man, go do what is required. I believe that Jesus was concerned for the testimony that he, as before the Father, was seeking to keep the law. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And I believe that this points to Jesus. He's like the one, the bird that was killed. But he's also like the bird that flies away and is free, but has the blood on it as a sign. This is a sign that this leper had sin that needed to be forgiven. And the bird is like Jesus, who has taken that upon himself for our healing. If you look in a lot of uh, references in, in the Bible, you'll see that there are references that declare leprosy very similar to what is sin. It doesn't say that leprosy is sin, but leprosy is a lot like sin in our lives. It deforms us. It makes us cripples. It makes us bound by this hideous disease. Have you ever felt like your sin was eating away at you? So it is like, like leprosy. Jesus has come on the cross to die for us, to be like the one bird, but also to be a resurrected Christ. He overcame sin and death for us. That's the picture. That's kind of the gospel in the Old Testament terms. But what did the man do? Let's go back to our verse there. It says that, but he went out and began to proclaim it freely, to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer freely enter a city 
and stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. This man had jumped the gun, so we speak. He had not waited and gone through the procedure that Jesus had instructed him to do. He had missed an opportunity, this man had, missed an opportunity to give witness to all of Israel that Jesus Christ had followed the extent of the law. Jesus just didn't say to him, just go and tell everyone. No, don't tell them. Not because he didn't want the man to tell, but because he wanted this man to really understand the full impact of the requirement of the law. But this man goes out, and you know what? Because he did that, Jesus was restricted. So our third point is, obedience follows faith. Because he went out and freely told everyone, the result was that Jesus could no longer preach in that city, and Jesus had to move on. And in fact, he couldn't go into a city because so many people were coming. Not only that, but the man lost a great opportunity in his life to know who Jesus was. Last night we were sharing with uh, the ICF young people. Well, some of them weren't so young, but I bring the age level up, the average up in ICF. Anyway, we were going through the story in uh, John 9 of the man that was born blind. And it was a very interesting story. If you have opportunity, read John 9. And the point is that the Pharisees, who were the leaders of the Jewish synagogues and the temple, were questioning this man over and over again as to who made you to see. Jesus had healed him. And finally, when the man met Jesus, it was to the point of coming to the realization that who Jesus was, and he became a mature believer almost overnight because he'd been grilled and grilled by the Pharisees. So he knew who this person was, even though he had never seen Jesus with his own eyes, but he had believed Jesus in his heart. That's what Jesus is getting at. He wants us to believe in our heart. Not to go blabbing something that, God just did a a special thing in my life. Well, sit down and think about what that special thing is before you get on Twitter or Facebook or on your cell phones. Thank the Lord. Give opportunity for what has happened to you to really sink into your life. That's the way to maturity. I want to walk us through a passage that I think is a very maturing experience. And if you would take this and think through it this week, John 15, 1 to 10, I think that this is what Jesus desired for the leper. This is what Jesus desires for each one of us who are sinners who have been redeemed by him. 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. It's interesting, Jesus says you're clean through the word. What was the leper? Considered unclean. But Jesus is mixing the analogies here. He's talking about the vine, but he's also talking about being clean. Does that mean he washed the, the branches? No. It means he pruned it so that it would bear more fruit. And that's what Jesus desires in all of our lives, in coming to him, that, knowing that he's forgiven us our sins, that we come to maturity so that we bear much more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Abide is a, we don't use it in English. It's an old word. I don't know why they don't use the word. Why don't you just come and live with me? And I'll live with you. That's what it means. Abide. It means to be very close, to live together. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Okay, look at that analogy. Here's, here's the vine. How many of you have ever been up to uh, Yamanashi and you drive up on the expressway there and you look down at all these vineyards that are down in the, in the valley there? You see these particularly at this time of the year, maybe just a little bit later, you just see these crooked sticks of trees. They've all been cut. The branches are, are off of them because they've already picked the grapes. And so next spring when you go up there, they'll, they'll start growing to be more fruitful. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides or is connected to the vine. That's what abide means being connected. The man that went away and told his story didn't give himself a chance to be connected to Jesus. We don't know who he was. He could have been one of Jesus' disciples. But he jumped the gun. He jumped ahead of the, the plan. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever lives in me or abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Let that sink into your heart. 
As the Father loves me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That's what Jesus is asking of every one of us as disciples. That's his desire, that's his heart for every man, woman, and child. What should our response be? We want to obey Jesus and what he has for us, his plans.